Hey, I'm Paul. And I'm Chad. And you're listening to Bad Marketing Sucks. And we're on a mission to eradicate bad marketing one business at a time. Well, David, welcome to the Bad Marketing Sucks show. Thank you for having me. We're glad to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. I'm an artist, um, best known for a series of, of neon pink paintings that I make around the streets of London and various other places. Um, and But I mean, I've, I've been painting for the last 23 years, so uh, I haven't always been famous, well-known, etc., cetera, um, as I am now. So there's, there's sort of three uh, parts to my career. The first 10 years were just as a vandal, um, I was making street art in, firstly, I was making it in legal sanctioned areas around London in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and gradually bit by bit, those areas were being closed down. Um, so I had this sort of choice of either stop making art or paint illegally. Um, so, and I chose, chose the latter. Um, and then after doing that for about 10 years, uh, things were getting a little bit spicy and I had sort of friends and peers that were being sent to prison for doing graffiti. Really? Um, decided to take things a little bit more of a positive direction. Um, so for the next 10 years, I then started uh, an agency slash company um, called Joy Collective, which is still running today. We've been going for 13 years. Um, and our kind of focus was mostly making work for brands. We were doing hand-painted billboards, advertisements, uh, most mostly like out-of-home stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and then in the beginning of the pandemic, all of our work, all of our clients disappeared. Um, and so I finally had a little bit of time. And so with that time, I started putting out the ideas that I'd been working on for the last 10 years, but never really had the confidence or the time to pursue because mm-hmm. um, I'd always been working on the business, started putting my own art out in the world and didn't expect it to like, honestly, didn't expect it to, um, but it kind of yeah caught fire. Um, I grew a, a large social media following and now that's become my full-time career. So whilst the the agency that I started uh, back in 2010 is still up and running called The Joy Collective and they do fantastic work, my my sole focus now is really just me as a, as a solo artist. That's awesome. That is awesome. So from yeah. a from a solo artist standpoint, are, are, are you still just doing what you want to do and let it catch fire or are you being commissioned to do things? Yeah, so I mean... It's it's a mix. I mean, I'm I'm most happy when I'm painting in the streets. That's really my my happy place. There's nothing like the energy of making work outside. You've got the drunk guy shouting at you over here. You've got the dog attacking you over here. You've got and you meet people from every single walk of life, mm. like millionaires walking past you, having a chat with you to the homeless dudes that you and the homeless community. You become really familiar with because you're you're seeing each other in these spaces, interacting, sharing a, a space for like a continued amount of time together. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about that energy that I love. But um, unless you're doing an outside mural for a brand Mm -hmm. for the most part outside work is is not paid for um so i'm in the lucky position where i'm able to do say one show a year of my of my paintings on canvas Mm -hmm. um, and then that will fund me for a year of painting in the streets and and so really i i've I've reached that kind of utopia point that a lot of artists a lot of solo artists are trying to get to Mm -hmm. which is I only take on the work that excites me and interests me. Um, and for the, and my, my kind of strategy is always give away everything. Like, so my street art is free um, and, I, and I'm happiest when I'm doing that. Gotcha. Very nice. Very nice. All right. So before we ask a few questions, I just got to find out. So 
is the street art something that you're doing on canvas or you're doing on buildings or you're doing on when you give that away for free, what does that mean? Yeah. So every time I paint outside, I think, I think the beautiful thing about street art is that it's the most accessible art form. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of gallery institutions and, and places that uh, are built up with so much high prestige to most people, they find those places intimidating to visit. Mm -hmm. uh, and they also feel like if I'm not an expert in art, then I can't have an opinion on these places. I yeah. know a lot of people, the, the Tate Modern is a couple of minutes from my house. And I know a lot of people go there and are a little bit confused by what they're seeing um, because the, the art is maybe not as accessible or the, the education around that art is, is not really there to, to educate people on what they should be thinking and feeling about, about these pieces. Mm -hmm. um, whereas street art is, is instantly there. It's, it's, I paint on hoardings and brick walls and whatever surfaces I can find outside. And that, and I mean, I, I live in Shoreditch in East London, uh, similar, similar to like Williamsburg in, in Brooklyn, um, and, and various sort of other places around the world where, where the sort of street art hubs are. And those, it's like going to an art gallery, but you don't have to pay an admission fee. Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't have to have a degree. You can just walk around and you can appreciate the art and you can, you can like it or not like it, but you can, you can feel free to have an opinion about it. And if you feel that strongly motivated, you can go and paint over it if you want to. If you feel like your voice is going to be stronger than what's there already, you can go and paint over it. There's no, you couldn't do that in a gallery space. That's, that's something about the <laughs> yeah. of, of doing it. That outside. wouldn't work, would it? Yeah. <laughs> they frown on that. A yeah, bit. that's not good. <laughs> well, what effects have you seen in bringing art to life? How does it resonate with people in, in, in what way? As in how have I seen, well, well, so, I mean, I got a, a DM um, probably about a year ago now from, from a guy who confessed to for me to be his like his um almost like his gateway drug into the art world um it was a really lovely email he he said um so there's something in london that we call a geezer right which is which is like a a, a man's man um you're 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 tony soprano's strong silent type uh like like a, that's a that's a geezer and uh he was a he was a self-confessed geezer he said i'm i'm a geezer and i would never admit this to my mates but your your work made me look at art. He said, I've never been interested in art before. I'd never looked at it before. But your art made me go and look at, at your art first. And then I and because I liked it so much, I started looking at other artists. And I thought that was a really beautiful thing. And specifically because I make work with pink paint, my target demographic was certainly not geezers. Mm -hmm. I did not think that geezers would be interested in my work, but specifically because I make it out of, out of pink paint. I think when I first started making my work, um, well, I had the idea for painting in pink. Uh, I discovered this this neon pigment that they make in spray paint that is the brightest of any paint I'd ever seen before. And it's so beautiful that I just wanted to, I just got a bit obsessed with it and wanted to explore it. And I think the beautiful thing about the pandemic was I just I just had time and no expectations. I didn't, I, I wasn't expecting the work to be a success. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times where, when we start a project, one of the motivating factors is how can I make this commercially viable? Mm. And had I sat down and done that, I would have said, well, pink is probably not going to be that financially viable. There's um, since getting obsessed with pink, I've kind of looked into it as a color and it's um, it's a color that's like frowned on within the art world, which sounds so bizarre, but it's like, it's like if you make 
pink pieces within traditional art. They're, they're frowned upon. It's not it's not like accepted. Um, so it wouldn't have been the wise choice on paper mm -hmm. to make work from pink. Uh, so I was not expecting anyone to resonate with it, to to be drawn to it like they have been. Um, but one of the experiences that I've had is my my studio um, in Shoreditch. I, I can see out the window and I can see a couple of my walls from from the window. So I see people interacting with my work when I'm not there. Mm -hmm. So I'll see someone do a double take because it's so bright and they cross over the road to go and take a photo with the piece. And yeah. that, that for me is a really beautiful thing. Um, so I, I think had I have, have planned it and gone... I want to be the next Banksy. I want to do something that's that's gonna. I want to sell loads of paintings. I don't know that I would have been where I am now. Mm -hmm. What I, what actually happened was I went. Well, I I think this is fun. This is something that I want to explore. There's a famous artist called David Cho who um, he famously painted the Facebook offices years ago and got paid in mm -hmm. in shares. So he's now a, a millionaire. Yeah. Um, and he's he's quite well known. And I saw an interview with him. And he said, when I paint in the streets, I like to paint with black paint because it's hard and it's aggressive. And and street art, I mean, is is the art of rebellion. It's it's illegal in in most places, mm -hmm. and, and you can you can tell a tell a story. You can you can get a message across. And I thought, well, I don't want my message to be hard and aggressive because that's that's not me as a person. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not trying to fight with my art. I'm trying to spread love and kindness and appreciation and really seeing other people noticing them. And so pink seemed the, uh, the right choice. And, and I went with it and the, the way that it grew, I mean, I started Instagram with zero followers in 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I'm at something like I'm over, over a hundred thousand now anyway. That's and awesome. to, to find that many people when, cause I, I like to write goals, right. And, and I write ridiculous goals that I think are un, unachievable. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's actually insane what's happened with my life since i've started that practice yeah. uh, and i reckon I, I i'm never one to um to recommend uh to recommend a technique that doesn't have science behind it mm -hmm. um so there must be some science to i guess opening up a space in your brain by mm -hmm. by having these goals in place because i i don't really believe in manifestation it all seems a bit weird that you would just sit and wish for something to happen um, but I wrote down at the beginning of 2020, I wrote down, I want to have 10,000 followers on Instagram because I thought that was ridiculous and mm -hmm. unachievable. Yeah. But I thought, let's put this really like ridiculous high ceiling to shoot for. Um, and I ended 2020 on 40,000 followers. That's awesome. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I honestly went into that year not expecting it to be a success. Literally just, I, I was like, let's just do something that's going to entertain me for this lockdown period that is going to last maybe three months, they said in the beginning, like yeah, exactly. oh, three months and then yeah. everything will be back to normal. <laughs> I, I I was always ready to go back to my day job. I always thought I'd be back yeah. painting walls for brands that because that I enjoyed that work and it was that was my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. um, but three months turned into six months, turned into 12 months. And and here we are four years later, and I've got a whole career off of making art out of pink paint. It's it's insane. When you do uh, work for brands, are you using, uh, are you still defaulting to pink or are you working within, uh, I guess, their their brand colors? Yeah, sure. So um, so when I was working, so for my, the 13 year period that I was working for Joy Collective, everything was pretty, and is pretty much um, given to us, like like to the letter of, of how the brand wants it. So uh, very often it will be like, this is the Pantone. This is the size. This is this is exactly what we want. Um, often, I mean, because we are the experts in that field, a lot of times 
uh, brands will ask us for our creative direction mm-hmm. and, our, and our input. Um, and but we're but we're very much guided by the brand and how and how they want the campaign to go. Um, for my own stuff, if I get contacted by a brand, um, I did get contacted actually by um, by a, a big company that makes mobile telephones um and they wanted me to do something in not my color mm-hmm. and it was it was a hard no uh, yeah they would they were launching a new product and they were like we're going to be doing it with neon green um do you think you could and and it was it was a no for me because that's not at some point i might explore neon green but at the moment i'm exploring neon pink mm-hmm. so yeah um so for me it has to be and and I take on very little brand work because because I because I don't really need to because mm-hmm. um, most of my like my living is paid for by my my clients who buy my paintings mm-hmm. um, on canvas and so and and that's that means that I'm not because when I first started um, any brand that came to us we would have to say yes because we've got yeah. bills to pay and mm-hmm. and like that's the the struggle of of the creative I think is when you first start making work you can't really be picky. Um, with your clients if you are able to be picky then you can get you can go so much further because mm-hmm. um, people see you in a certain light because you're not having to take every single thing um, but yeah I think it's very difficult if you if you say yes to everyone then you start to become um, almost like uh, it's it's all it almost like waters your brand down yeah. because you're becoming generalist you're rather a little than bit of this over here a little bit of that over there and I think I think now uh, Joy Collective is is very much um, we've we've kind of taken the power back now, and we sit we sit our clients down and we go through um, a a we, we call it like a diagnosis, mm-hmm. but we'll we'll sit down with the client and we'll go from we'll we'll firstly we'll work out like what are your objectives for this project? Sure, yeah. Um, which which is funny because when a lot of clients go into a project, they don't actually know what their objectives are, which is always wild. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then after a conversation, they actually realize their objectives are something that are different to what they thought they were. Yep. Mm. Um, and then we'll work out the best way to go about that as practicing artists for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll use our expertise to, to guide people in that, in that way. Um, because I think it's, it's, when you work with creatives, it's really important to like listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. And you might have a vision, but if you're coming to a creative, then then maybe listen to what they they what you're paying them to bring to the table. You know, sure. Um, so it's like if a brand wants to wants to come to me personally as a solo artist, that's um, it's an interesting conversation because firstly I have to align with the brand, um, so that that eliminates a, a great deal of, of people to, to begin with. Yeah. Um, so I have, to, I have to, yeah. So I have to align with the brand and then we have to make cool shit. Like I'm, I'm not interested in doing something that's gonna, that's one, not going to fulfill what the brand wants it to fulfill, mm. but two is going to bring my standing down. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm really kind of um, uh, picky about, about what projects I take on. Yeah. Um, and then with, with joy collective, like there's one thing we've learned, um, that I think is so important is make sure that the key decision maker for any project is on the call. Um, and it's something yeah. we've had in the past where we'll, we'll go. So we'll go so far down the the road with the project and we'll start, we even start doing designs and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then a key decision maker comes in and goes, no, this is what I don't want to do this. Um, because 
I mean, that's that's just the way things work. Often you get someone who's like younger in a company who's more willing to take a risk, mm-hmm. is more willing to collaborate, is more willing to do something that's not been seen before. Uh, and then you have the 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 people whose job it is to protect the company. I, I think they are doing it from a from a fear safety without a doubt. Kind of, yeah, uh, space. Right. Oh gosh, we but see they that come the in and they go. We've not we've not worked with street art before. This is this is scary. It might alienate our clients. Yeah. Um, and so they they don't want to do something brave, and everything gets pulled back. So mm-hmm. right. And then it becomes very bland. Yeah. Yeah. Very unmemorable. And I think that's why you know from a marketing um, kind of principles and and how things work and just the way that our minds work that's i think that's one of the reasons why pink has done so well for you is because it's it's different enough but it's at a high enough quality that we are just drawn to those things and i'm i will not get too far into it because i'm not a you know neurologist or neuroscience but there is something to be said for that is that when we create things, create art, create uh, the, the creative assets for our marketing campaign, if we look like everybody else, that part of our brain that processes it is going to say, eh, I've seen it, they flush it out. But when it is different and it, at the level of quality that we desire, it's like you said, you, we cross the street to go take a picture with that because it, it's, it's good it, and it draws us to it. So I think that's why one of the reasons you've done so well with pink is that it is different enough, but it's still at the standards and quality that, that people desire. Very true. When I discovered that pigment, I couldn't believe that no one else was using it. Yeah. I almost felt like a, like I discovered some, like some insane secret. Yeah. Um, I was, why, why is no one else using this? It's so bright. It's insane. And I think the next time, if you're listening to this, the next time you're somewhere where there is a lot of graffiti, mm-hmm. Just look at the pieces that stand out. I mean, I I'm really careful about where I place my work. I don't I don't put my work in amongst all of the other graffiti where it's just a, a set. Like I'm always looking for like a unique place to put mm-hmm. my work. Yeah. Um, and I think that's I, and you can you can you can parlay that out into real life. It's like I, I say to photographers, if if you're posting on Instagram, you're or like there's so much photography on Instagram and, and I'm probably going to scroll past your piece unless it's absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to scroll past it really quickly because there's so much photography on Instagram. Yeah. However, if I'm scrolling on on LinkedIn and I'm seeing like mindset posts and I'm seeing like, uh, here's how to boost video on your campaign, like whatever it's posted on Instinct. And then I see some cool photography. It's going to stand out because it's in that, it's in that different space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's something I learned from graffiti years ago is, um, I remember we, this is during the first phase, the the really illegal phase. And I, I was painting um, those railway lines outside of Clapham Junction Station, which is one of the busiest uh, railway stations in the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's a, there was a big wall there that that my friend and I painted. And um, we were just like, this, everyone's going to see this. There's like, I think there's something like, I can't remember the number, but it's an insane amount of commuters go through mm-hmm. there every single day. There's going to be so many eyeballs on our stuff. We we're really excited. And um and there, there was also like a couple of nights later, we then we then painted something on the way to Gatwick Airport. Um, and it's like it was like in the middle of a field. It was like this crazy long journey to get to it. We, we worked out where it was back then. There was no Google Maps. So we had to just go yeah. driving until we could find this little <laughs> back road. And um, so we, we painted this this uh, this hoarding on the side to Gatwick Airport. Um, and it was like tiny. It was like just in the middle of nowhere. And the amount of people. The, of, of uh, other graffiti artists that we met that were like, oh, I saw your thing on the way to Gatwick and no one mentioned Clapham Junction to us. 
And that was the first point where I was like, okay, there's so much graffiti in Clapham Junction mm -hmm. that when you when you ride past it, it doesn't make an impact. Yep. Whereas you put something where you're not expecting to see it mm -hmm. and everyone remembers it. And that's always stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Gosh, and go ahead. Yeah, I, it, so it's so interesting. Um, you know, I think the, uh, you know, typically we always think of, you know, in terms of branding and advertising, traditional forms, you know, like television, radio, digital. Uh, what makes art so effective in that space, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think we're getting to the stage now. So um, Joy Collective, have, we've really pivoted um, because so we were we were really the first to do um, hand painted advertisements in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, there was uh, Colossal Media in um, in uh, New York that were that were also doing it, but they use brushes, not not spray paint. Um, and we sort of like helped pioneer that industry. I mean, it's become an industry. Um, but then as you do that, people see that it's making money. So it attracts people. There's there's now business people running graffiti companies who've never picked up a, a can of paint um, or street art companies. As they wow. call them. And um, and and that to me is is wild. But they just saw that there was money there. So they came in and and like paid contracts to all the artists and like and shut like really shut down um the business but but now the work that's getting creative i i feel like when we first started doing it um we were really trying to do something different mm -hmm. um something that would do the job of marketing which is to stand out and, yeah. and get attention mm -hmm. um now the work that's that's being hand painted is um i mean it's beautifully done it's to a really high standard but a lot of it is just they've taken the the brand campaign poster that's the same mm -hmm. that we'll see on the tube we'll see it on the billboards and then here's a hand painted version of it. Yeah, um, that to me doesn't doesn't do the job. Um, I remember when we did a campaign for Halo um, a few years ago, and uh, we painted this beautiful like giant Halo piece. And then a couple of nights later, we came back and like vandalized it, and we wrote traitor across the middle of it because the, um, <laughs> the one of the lead characters in the in the series turned out to be a traitor. Yeah, and um, it got millions of views on Reddit. It like went insane and that's because it was it was something different and i feel like what's being produced now is just it's the same i i don't understand why they wouldn't just put a poster there because by just because you've painted it isn't special anymore yeah right. when we were when we first started doing these ads in like 2010 2011 um they were brand new no one had seen that done before um but i know I, i'm sure you've heard gary v say uh, marketers ruin everything they do yeah uh, Gosh. so and so like fast. yeah the <laughs> so the the um the hand-painted mural was was really cool so i think in order to do to use art effectively now you have to do something different and i think one thing so many brands do poorly is credit the artists that they're working with um like i've got no shame in calling out adidas they are the fucking worst for it like they they do not they want everyone to believe that adidas just is is a a, a group of people that just sits within adidas hq and comes up with all their ideas because yeah. anyone who works on a project is white labeled and they do not get to speak about it yeah um and i just think you're going to do your brand so much like you're going to do so much for your brand if you give flowers to the artists people will see that and they'll appreciate it yeah um, so if I was running a brand and I did a, I did a, a collaboration with an artist, I would be mentioning, tagging, like touting that artist to like, I'd Absolutely. be singing the praises from the hills. Sure. Yeah. 
Sure. Yeah. And so many brands are not willing to do that. No. It's, it's wild. So let me make sure I understand this. I'm kind of confused on this. So you're saying that a company will pay an artist to paint something on behalf of their brand illegally in a space, or is this done legally? Yeah, so um, all of the work that we do with Joy Collective is is on legal sanctioned walls. Gotcha. Okay, um, okay, so, all right. Yeah, and so and actually, I mean, interestingly, with Colossal Media in New York, there, um, the reason for them kind of existing is that it's illegal to put posters on most of the buildings in in New York, but it's not illegal to paint them. Right. So it was kind uh, of this loophole of how can we advertise in these spaces mm-hmm. um, without without hanging a billboard? Yeah. So are they paying for the space that they're that you're painting on or that they just these companies just allow you to paint on their buildings? Yeah. So uh, normally it's a landlord that we've managed to track down. I mean, wall sourcing is like one of the hardest parts of the job. So yeah. you find a landlord uh, who typically doesn't want to be found for the most part. And then you say, you've got this beautiful facade, this, this side panel to your wall. Can we paint it? Which again is normally a no. Uh, and then if you get over those first few hurdles, um, then then you start talking about money and it's like, okay, well, we will probably bring you in this many in charges for a year. Uh, most brands are going to book it for two weeks at a time or maybe a month. Um, and then from that, we will pay you however many thousands to rent your wall from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, for, for building owners, um, it's a really great source of income. Not that building owners typically need an extra source of income, but there you go. They've got one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a blank space on the wall that's not being used. Yeah. So why not? It's a, yeah. It's yeah. a fun source it's, of revenue. It, that's them. interesting. Yeah. Wow. That just unlocks your brain a little bit there. If you would give our listeners a few tips on how companies might be able to better integrate art into their branding and marketing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how they can do that effectively in a way that resonates with their, um, you know, ideal customer. Yeah. So I think it's, um, it's being respectful, I think, is the, is the word that, that springs to mind is I think art has so much good feeling uh, for so many people because good, good art makes people feel something. Mm-hmm. So I know people don't buy my work because of, of what it looks like or who I am. They buy it because of what it makes them feel. Mm-hmm. And you can utilize that feeling as a brand if you listen to the creatives that you're working with um, and you're you're respectful of their ideas and you collaborate to a point where it's ha- where where you're happy on both sides mm-hmm. i think there's it's such a rich i mean it's such a rich pool of talent to to work from i mean i think artists are the are some of the most creative people on on the planet and i mean i, I mean that could be a, a music artist uh, it could be someone mm-hmm. who writes poetry it sure. could be a visual artist what, whatever form of art if they are able to if they have crafted um the skills to be able to make people feel something with the work that they make mm-hmm. uh, then that's it's a beautiful thing that you can utilize but only if it's done authentically on both sides um i mean i've had my I've had my work stolen by Ed Sheeran, um, which is which is funny when you think really? about the. Uh, there's been all the cult, the court cases for Ed Sheeran and um, and and plagiarism. Oh my but, goodness! But um, there wow. was a there was a billboard done um, in Shoreditch, and 
I kept getting tagged on Instagram, like, oh, new Ed Sheeran billboard done by David Speed. And I was like, I, I didn't do this. This is wild. Yeah. Uh, and it's all all in my colours. And and I couldn't believe it. And and so I know, because because of my work with Joy Collective, I know that I will have been on the mood board mm -hmm. that was shown in this thing. And whoever from whatever agency was going, yeah, we want it to look like this because this is really hot right now, especially in this area. Yeah. Because all of my work was around East London. Um, and I didn't get the call. I didn't get an email or anything. Um, so I, I ended up going and defacing the um, this Ed Sheeran brand for a, for a little bit of like PR for myself. You know, <laughs> really? I was like, well, let's turn this let's turn this situation and see if I can I can benefit from yeah. it. Um, because had I been asked to do a, a billboard for Ed Sheeran, I probably would have said no. You know, um, but I think that's luckily I I was in the position where um, having my work stolen didn't didn't really affect me. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't. I, I didn't need that one Ed Sheeran payday, do yeah. you know what I mean? But I, I kind of used it as an opportunity to to speak about this happening because so often brands will do this with smaller creators. Mm -hmm. um, they'll they'll steal their work or steal an idea. Um, and that, I mean, that I think that can do huge damage to your brand. 100%, um, yeah. And had I gone more, um, more guns are blazing with it on social media than I, I'm sure I could have turned it into something. But I, I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but I do want to point out that like, if you are going to be working with these creatives, like if you see an artist on a billboard that gets, that gets brought up in a meeting, it's like, well, work with that artist instead of trying to replicate, exactly. finding someone else who'll replicate it for cheaper. Yeah. Um, that's that, that doesn't work for me. Um, and I just think there's, I, I would, my two of my favorite artists, I, I think, work with brands so incredibly well uh, is a girl called Kellyanna. Mm -hmm. uh, she's at Kellyanna London on Instagram. Uh, and she's worked with, she does a lot with Nike. Um, she's worked with Lego. Um, she's worked with like so many brands. And I think every time she's always able to make it completely authentic to her, like mm -hmm. it's her voice, it's yeah. her work. Um, and I, I think her campaigns work beautifully. There's also a girl in Seattle called Stevie Shaw. Um, and she, I know she does a lot of brand stuff and I think, I think her stuff always, always works really well. Yeah. Um, I think the the problem is when you, it's a square peg in a round hole and it would be like me painting in neon green. Yeah. It would exactly. be like, uh, this is it, but that's the guy who he's famous for doing neon pink. Why yeah. is it in yeah. green? Yeah. It's, it, like there's a disconnect. Yeah, sure. Um, so let's all work together to have these creative conversations. Let's throw all of our ideas in. But then at the end of it, let's make sure that the creative is coming out of this shining because mm -hmm. from that, your brand will shine. 100%. Sure. sure. I love it. So at the end of the day, it's creating pieces that resonate with people in a way that creates emotion, essentially, is what you're saying. I think so. Yes. I think so. I mean, I mean, obviously, like marketing is your field and I've had I've had. Um, I've had experience in it through the the work I've done for the for the last ten years, but it's certainly not something that um, that I'm an expert in. Um, but I think when it comes to marketing my own work, mm -hmm. I try and make people feel something. Sure. Yeah. So every time I put on a solo show, I go and leave a thousand pieces of artwork in the street, mm -hmm. um, and it's the most insane thing. Yeah. Like I, it takes me two weeks to create the artwork i hand finish every single piece mm -hmm. and then um and then i walk um i think i walk 60 60 miles let me let me just work out how much i walk um <laughs> probably I'm not, yeah 60 I, I miles need to be doing that. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah um and then so in order to distribute a thousand pieces i walk 60 miles in four days wow. to do wow. it 
Um, and I, I, I leave these like behind bins and on bus stops. And then I, I post clues on my stories for where people can find the work. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then on the back of the envelope, there's just a little card that says, I've got a new solo show coming up and there's a little QR code and you can scan it and it gets people to, to come to my show. Yeah. Um, but the, the reason why it works is because people experience something. Mm -hmm. It was, it's play essentially. Right. And I get so many messages from people saying, thank you for allowing me to be a kid again. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the, the, <clears throat> there's something so like childlike about, about doing a treasure hunt. It's yeah. so fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I make sure that, that, the work is good so that when people actually find this piece of work, it's like, it's some, like they're framed all over the country and, mm. um, and people are really proud and they feel like they've got something of value. Yeah. Um, so it costs me a hell of a lot of money to like make the work, uh, four days of time to distribute the work. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's, and, and I, like, I, if <laughs> it's not necessarily marketing, but it is marketing. Oh, it is. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't sit down and go, what's my marketing strategy? Mm -hmm. I sit down and I go, what's a fun way to get people to interact with this show I've got coming up? Yeah. Right. Well, that, yes. th that at the core, that that's marketing. I mean, well, that's I think what that, that really yeah, is. Most, I think at this point, people uh, attribute marketing to traditional media. Sure. Uh, radio, TV, that type of stuff. But what you just articulated there is so tightly close to your brand, whether you've, you flesh yeah. that out or not. I mean, you, you know who you are. You're, you're not green, you're pink. I mean, you are, and you are committed to that. So you taking that step to put out and to really draw people in. And that's what, I mean, the most effective anything in life is that emotional level, because if the people that we care about and want to be around, we have a relationship with, well, you can't, build a relationship without some emotional connection. Absolutely. So what, what you just articulated is the most brilliant marketing because you are connecting. Yes. Yes. This has been a great, great show, David. Yeah. Uh, this is Love something it. that I think is not a lot, lot yeah. longer too. <laughs> this is something that's not talked about enough in the marketing and branding world. And, um, we really appreciate you coming on today and, and giving us your insights. Thanks for listening. If you need help, email us at helpme at badmarketingsucks.com. And if you have any topics or questions, email us at yep at badmarketingsucks.com. Subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or a five-star review on Spotify. Until next week.